0: Vampires of the Paper Flower Consortium, Episode 25, Trapped. Ronna Foy, former lady of the Kingdom of France and current historian and librarian of the Paper Flower Consortium. Welcome back, my beloved initiates. Last month, I spoke about a vampire who, more or less contentedly, lived in a cave for 200 years. Tonight, I shall speak of a cave-in. Because so much quality of existence comes from freedom. There is not a lot of introduction in this one, and I call this story Trapped because it also answers another reason that vampires join a coven. If you are in a coven and you go missing, the coven will notice. If you go missing as a rogue vampire, you just go missing. I will also say that this tale is about an ancient, and whenever we talk about ancients, we do tend to skip around a bit. I will not tell his whole story tonight, because next month I will tell you a story about his firstborn. Let us begin. Titus Maximus Valerius was a vampire from ancient Rome, born the fourth son of In a powerful and popular family, he worked as an augur. Now, an augur is a type of oracle who interprets omens derived from the observations of birds, their motions, migrations, long flights, cries, even their diet. Titus chose this life because he loved, and still loves, birds. In fact, he was transformed into a vampire so he might be closer to the birds. As back in ancient Rome, it was thought that vampires were connected to birds or bird-like creatures in some way. With money and the support of a good family, he had a happy enough existence. Titus existed for a very long time, seen many dangers, and had many adventures. But As the 16th century drew to a close, Titus knew he had to escape Europe somehow. He considered going into Africa, but there was also the Americas, so Titus funded a ship of sailors. And he made it across the Atlantic during the 17th century without fail. He ate insects, salted meats, and rats. Because the ship was free of rats, most of the sailors had a more pleasant crossing with less illnesses and commonly seen in the sea. His ship landed in what would be called the Cape Ann area. Now, life in the new colony was difficult, and he primarily existed outside of it. In fact, he left the colony before anyone realized he was a vampire. He did not fear the Pawtucket people, or for that matter, any of the indigenous peoples of the Americas. Indeed, uh, most were friendly towards the new settlers. Now, he was a man of his time, and he did make a trade in skin. That is, he married an indigenous girl, what we now call a teenager, so he might settle in part of the indigenous people's land. Now, he told the people that he wanted to grow wheat, but that was a convenient lie. In fact, the ground he chose was too soft and salty to grow wheat. And of course, this was all fine because Titus didn't even eat wheat, nor did he want to fish in the Atlantic. He just wanted to exist and watch birds. And what he liked about the land he had chosen was it was a wetland next to a spring and had many bird colonies, in fact, his goal was to document these bird colonies. Now, during this time period, there are other people who also left the colonies near Cape Ann. Mostly because they did not want the regimented society of the colony. Now, some returned to England. Some lived beside the indigenous peoples and intermarried with them. But all that history, too, goes beyond that story that I'm telling tonight. Titus built himself and his wife a small saltbox house with a loft for storage near the spring. It was a very small timber-framed cabin. The lower level acted as the existence space, while the upper was storage. Now, his wife was younger than the women he kept in Europe, and he insisted upon what is known in the Catholic Church as a Josephite marriage. I cannot tell you if they were happy. Within a year, she returned to her people. He did not know or care. He had come to America to be a naturalist, and his wife simply didn't interest him. Sadly, she was a means to an end, which was settling near the spring he had chosen. Now occasionally people stopped by his cabin to use the spring, but otherwise everyone, both the indigenous and the settlers, left him alone. Perhaps after a time they thought the old cabin was deserted. Perhaps after a generation or two they forgot about him altogether. As he slowly wrote what he called his Maximus Opus, The Documentation of the American Bird. The first century passed by without misadventure, and then the Cape Ann earthquake took place on November 18th, 1755, at approximately 4.30 a.m. local time. Its epicenter is believed to have been offshore approximately 24 miles eastward. Now this quake has been well documented sailors on a ship more than 200 miles offshore recorded the quake and mistook it at first that their ship may have run aground. Moreover, future President John Adams was staying at his father's house in Braintree, Massachusetts, and he was awakened by the quake. And in his diary he wrote the quake continued near four minutes and that the house seemed to rock and reel and crack as if it would fall into ruins all around us. You should also know that the region suffered from many aftershocks. And while there were no known human deaths, many buildings were destroyed. In fact, many residents of the Boston and surrounding areas attributed the quake to God. However, it is this point, my beloveds, which interests us tonight. Observers recorded that several springs suddenly dried up, and new ones were created, and deep cracks appeared in the ground. And this is how Titus disappeared to anyone who may have been acquainted with him. Titus was awake and writing during the first quake. He admittedly was frightened, but he had been through earthquakes before. His house seemed sturdy enough. It was actually during one of the aftershocks when the water suddenly shifted and came up through his floorboards. His house immediately began to sink. Within minutes, his house was submerged. He climbed up to the loft and looked out the window and saw the sun one last time. And his house continued to sink. He tried to climb onto the roof and find something to grab hold to but the trees were too far away. He got to the edge of the sinkhole at one point, but the fetid mud was too slick to hang on, and the exposed white roots of grasses were simply too slender to hold his weight. And then he was in the water. Worse, the sinking house caused a thick suction. He followed his cabin into the icy muck and deeper into the blackness. His ears popped with the cold water. His head felt like it would collapse from the pressure. Muddy water slid into his mouth and nose. And his other vampires have suffered. Titus suffered the pain of vocal cord spasms, followed by the pain of his lungs filling up with water. But of course, he could not die. Now yes, vampires can see well in the dark, but we do need some light, and the black water was filled with debris. Titus could not see anything. He was constantly pelted and struck with, from small wreckage. Then at least one log hit his arm, and he broke it. Swimming seemed impossible for what seemed like an eternity. Still, lungs full, half-frozen, And exhausted, he moved until he found a solid surface. And he tried to dig himself out through the the thick clay mud. His nails broke. Liquid followed his bleeding fingers and toes into any holes he made. Swimming in place, he fell asleep. And then when he was awake, he just kept digging. Without food, he grew weaker Inch by inch he gained and lost ground. He prayed to every god and goddess that he knew and begged for assistance. At some point he realized he was finally above the water table. But the thick abrasive dirt sucked at his clothing, slowly moldering through the fabric. And as the fabric disintegrated, it slothed his skin raw. Dirt fell into his mouth and his nose. His eye ducts burned with irritation. Every breath he inhaled dirt and dust and muck. And this pressure also compacted his chest and would not allow him to breathe. Drowning in water was terrible, but drowning in dirt and pebbles was much worse, was much more painful. Stygian mud and Black dirt and worms and shrews and other small animals entered his body and moved through his digestive system. The pain of passing impurities through his digestive tract was agony, but inches were gained through digestion. The agony of passing impurities through his kidneys and urinary tract was terrifying. Each time the pressure of his kidneys forced impurities through his urinary tract, he vomited in pain. Most often, re swallowing whatever foul, putrid thing he had regurgitated. And yet, that was not the worst thing he suffered. At some point, he came to something hard rock, brick. All he knew is he could not eat through it without shattering his teeth. And he slowly shifted himself around the beastly structure. Not knowing if he was moving up or down was panic-inducing. And not knowing if the beastly structure would ever end was much worse. Feared he was under a tomb of granite, a mountain. But all he could do was dig and sleep, and so he dug and slept. Day by day, night after night, time lost all meaning. There was only one word with meaning, and that word was survival. When he found soft earth again, he rejoiced in the small victory and kept digging. Then it was one day, and we do know it was daytime, that his fingers fell to air. He pressed around and found small round objects, and he pulled his hand back. He could not see, but he felt them and he was suddenly sure that he found a Kingfisher's Tunnel. From his previous work and observations, he knew he was probably a body length from the surface, perhaps two body lengths at most. Though it was muffled, with the mud caking his ears, he was sure he heard the ratcheting cry turn into a scream. As the Kingfisher's Tunnel was suddenly filled with a human-sized form, A new pain went through his hand as a sharp beak pecked him. He kept moving forward. He did not even fear the sun any longer. Not even when his bloody hand was on fire. Titus would later regret the destruction of the nest, but at that moment, all he could do was reach for freedom. He felt the warm sun sizzle his skin but he kept reaching until he was free. He wept, snot and tears clearing his eyes, yet his sight was blurry as his lenses were scratched, and even once clean, it would take him days to regain his sight. Now, forgive me for being more indelicate, and if you have a weak stomach, please skip ahead for a minute or so. You see... His skin was burning in the afternoon air, but his distended body was mostly covered in mud, and it was late enough in the day that he survived the burning. He took cover in the shaded side of the riverbed and gargled with the river's clear water. This moved grit from his mouth. He gargled slowly, making more air space. He gargled until he began to retch. (coughs) Once his body coughed up the dirt in his lungs and vomited, (coughs) it began to move the filth from his system. It would take weeks to fully free himself from the muck. But with the night, he was breathing air again. However, he had no money. He wasn't even wearing clothes. He did not know where he would go. He didn't even know what year it was or what mortal society he might find himself in. But he couldn't return to underground. And for the first time in his existence, he truly feared people. Even so, he could not turn back. While he lay in the shade of the trees, roots twisted around him, offering him some shade he heard a low growl of some beast he had never heard before. He himself against the tree, trembling, and he did not see where it went because his eyes were still blurry. But wherever it had gone, it left him be. And then, days later, once his ears were cleared with mud and his sight restored, he saw the growl again and saw the ship without a sail the several paddles propelling it, a steam-driven ship. And once he would return to vampires. And this is how we know, beloveds, he was at least under the ground for five decades. He would also soon learn that he was still in Massachusetts, and though society had moved forward somewhat, judicial cruelty was still well known. But lying on his back and through the shades of the tree, he watched the birds fly over him. And he wept over the kingfisher and their nest. As nightfall, he stumbled around in his nakedness, but he was too weak to hunt. He found a gentle cow. He crept closer, and she did not move as she was used to being handled. He bit into her shoulder and took a sip. She mooed and kicked him off of her. But the blood of a large animal energized him. He moved on to the next cow, only taking a little at a time. And while this was not enough blood for him to regain his supernatural talents, he did grow slightly stronger and in better health. He heard humans in a nearby inn, and behind the inn there was a line of freshly washed clothing, and believing himself alone, or at least not seen. He tried to steal clothes from the line, but as he turned around he took a whack on the head from the tithing man. As he had no money to pay for the fine for drunkenness, he was marched across town still naked and pilloried to sober up. As was the common punishment for drunkenness at the time, he was also beaten. But what was truly terrifying, and made him question his existence all the more, was the sun rising again. Though filthy, on his back, patches where the mud had flaked off began to smoke, "'But a goodly-type woman took pity on him "'and covered him with an old blanket "'and gave him sips of clam broth. "'Do you know me?' he croaked. "'You are one of God's creatures,' was all she said in reply. "'He would later learn from another man beside him "'who had also been pilloried and beaten for drunkenness "'that she was the jailer's grown daughter "'and that she was gentle and kind. "'And the jailer was not a bad man either.' Just a man with a job to do. Titus, not feeling at all sympathetic to the man who beat him, ignored the drunken man. Now, my beloveds, I would love to tell you that this was the beginning of a romance and that Titus was a changed man from his experience, but that is not this type of story. The jailer's daughter gave him soup because she pitied him. She also gave soup to the drunken man beside him. But Titus took the soup because he was starving. And as he waited for freedom, he began to stew. He grew angry as bits of bare skin around his ankles and hands, and the top of his head burned. The jailer released him from his humiliation and allowed him to keep the cloak. And the first thing that Titus did was creep to the tithing man's house where he slept beside his wife. At this time period, it was often thought that men needed less sleep than women, and the tithing man was the first to awake in his household. Titus did not harm the woman or the children. Instead, he just dressed in the tithing man's best clothes, best clothes, and he found the money which the tithing man had collected and yet had not yet turned in, and then... He cautiously took his blood to the point of death. And then Titus started walking west. There is no happy ending to this story, beloveds, because we are vampires and we do not end. Now, if you ask Titus about this misadventure, he will simply refer to it as a bit of misfortune. But in fact, he suffers from post-traumatic stress nightmares and panic attacks. He still loves birds as he feels it was the birds who saved him, and he did ultimately write his opus, which we have a copy in our library. Please be careful with it, as it is a first edition and all the images are hand-drawn and colored. But the true moral of this story is, if you don't want to be trapped, get to know your neighbors. Ensure there is someone who will check on you if they don't see you for a few weeks. Titus now knows the truth in that wisdom. And now a word from our sponsor, MYT Clothier. Vampires. Do you just like ripped denim, thin fabrics, and how well-made modern clothing is covered in labels? MYT Clothier creates handmade custom clothing in accessible styles for all body types from all eras, including this one. MYT uses the best quality handwoven woven silk embroidery from China Damask from France and Italian embroidery and leathers and other fine fabrics. And if you wish to look like you've stepped out of time or even reality with some fantastical design, we can make that happen too. Werewolf Friends, we have a wide variety of double woven stretchy materials for those quick transformations. If the cloth tears when you transform, we'll fix or replace the garment for free. At MYT Clothier, quality is our style call for a fitting tonight. And now it is time for questions. But, strangely, all my initiates are sitting in quiet concern about this night's lesson. I think we may have some people who leave the program. But I did have an earlier question from Initiate Lynn. She asked recently, I have heard about a new type of music called goth wave or dark wave in which some of the musicians pretend to be vampires. I would like to know how vampires feel about vampire musicians and cosplayers. darling Initiate We feel nothing about vampire cosplayers, musicians, and anyone else who finds the beauty in the romantic, baroque, or Victorian fashion and architecture. Humans who follow their bliss do not affect us in the slightest. Besides, during the reign of Louis XIV and Fifteenth, Pascaline and I were vampire singers, pretending to be human. And I've already admitted how we seduce kings and dukes and the occasional duchess for the good of our family. Now that time in our existence is over, but I shall not pretend that we did not enjoy the thrills of our intrigues. Now, this is an assumption on my part, but because they are so deep in their aesthetic, these musicians probably would find vampires pretty dull and would not like hanging out with us. So delight, cosplayers, YOLO, and all that. And a good night to you, my beloved initiates. Have a good day, and sleep the sleep of the dead. The Vampires of the far Consortium podcast was written and performed by Elizabeth Gazzetti. You can learn more about her books, including the books featuring vampires in the same universe, by going to www.elizabethgazzetti.com. If you have questions or comments for Lady Loretta, please contact her at info at PaperflowerConsortium.com or through the Paperflower Consortium Patreon. And there you can check out upcoming topics. If you love this podcast, like and share this episode. Please consider donating either one time or through the Patreon. And that is www.patreon.com slash Paperflower Consortium. The amazing intro and outro music was written by Evan Witt. And you can learn more about his music at www.wittynotes.com. Any other sound effects in tonight's episode was created by Elizabeth Gazzetti. for listening